When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into everything you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me, of course, is Dr. Duncan Castles. Today, we will be talking about Wolverhampton Wanderers, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United, amongst other things, as well as, of course, the infamous Donkey Award. It is, of course, awards season. Duncan, we're going to start with um, Wolves and uh, one of their uh, most effective and certainly most talented players, uh, Pedro Neto and a potential move away from the club. This has been, of course, a uh, pattern uh, with Wolverhampton Wanderers with regards to selling um, good players, having brought them in and them having performed very well. We saw it with Diogo Jota already uh, when he went to Liverpool. Uh, What can you tell us about Neto and his future? Yeah, a lot of interest in Pedro Neto since he, he kind of took over from Diogo Jota before he moved to Liverpool and, and was getting more starting time than Jota. One of the reasons why Jota was unhappy and seeking a move and obviously got a, a major step up. Um, I can tell you there was very significant interest in him last summer, uh, from some of the top clubs in Europe, Juventus in particular were extremely keen to bring him to Italy. Um, had, I'm told, everything in place to do a deal for a substantial transfer fee, but Wolves um, and their Chinese owners decided not to take that money because the the deal was heavily performance related. Um, As we know, Juventus had financial fair play issues and they wanted to stack the the transfer fee with um, bonuses for winning Serie A, um, bonuses for reaching the Champions League, etc. And uh, Wolves wanted guaranteed cash in the way they got from Liverpool, although that Jota deal, remember, um, not all of the money paid uh, in the first summer, very much staged over the course of the transfer, but the the, the transfer fee ex- itself was primarily fixed for Wolves. Um, it, one of the clubs that are interested and have been interested in Pedro Neto in England are Manchester City. Um, I'm told that when they were watching, uh, paying attention to Adama Traore last season and, and spending time in Wolves games, as Neto was becoming more of a fixture in the team, they started to uh, see the quality of his play and considered that he might be a better fit for their team uh, than uh, Traore and they, they continue to hold an interest. I'm also told that Manchester United have been observing the player and, and looking at him as whether he would be an option for them in the right wing position. Um, he basically turned into their most important attacker this season. Obviously, they've been without 
Raul Jimenez for most of it and had a very difficult season for obvious reasons because they've lost that, that player who was scoring so many goals for them and so effective, not just as an attacker, but I think as a defender from the front. But Neto um, has scored the most goals um, of any player in Wolves squad this season, five Premier League goals also the most assists, five assists. Um, he's almost their most used player. Only Connor Cody has played more minutes um, of the outfield players for them this season. The question then is, how much will the transfer fee be? Um, I'm told it will not be cheap, uh, partly because of the way that Neto came to the club from Lazio. In 2019, he was signed on a, a joint deal with uh, his fellow Portuguese player, Bruno Jordão, who'd actually left Portugal, Braga, to go to Lazio in a joint deal to Lazio. The total price of that transfer was 27 million euros. Jordão hasn't really um, established himself as being worth very much and has now moved away from Wolves. So Wolves want to get their profit um, from the Neto deal. So therefore you you can you can have a, a, a guess at, at how much money they will be asking for a transfer fee, um, especially if he ends up being the, the principal player that they can move in this window. Um, I'm told that they haven't made a decision on numbers yet, that the owner's Although they're open to selling if the money is right, they want to wait until the end of the Premier League season to put a price on the player. I think also wait and see how the market, the summer's market evolves, um, how much money there's going to be available for players and how much they could um, they could get for player of Neto's quality, which clubs exactly are, are going to be prepared to make bids. Um, they're in a strong position in terms of age. He's, he's just 21. He's already a full Portugal international. And um, they gave him a new contract in November that runs until 2025. So they're, they're, they have all the boxes ticked in terms of extracting a big transfer fee. Um, and now we're they're kind of in a, in a waiting game to see where things are at the end of the season, which clubs come in for them and whether they can get the kind of amounts of money that they would want to sell their most effective attacker or most effective fit attacker and reinvest elsewhere in the team after what's been compared to their first two seasons in the Premier League, a very disappointing season with them currently in 13th place in the division. This has become um, quite a good business plan in, in terms of Wolves. Uh, obviously, they have uh, the major influence of George Mendes, the agent, and his Justifoot uh, company uh, who are doing recruitment in the majority of cases, uh, selling players who they brought in at a lesser price. This, um, do we think, is it going to be a pattern that continues, Duncan, or will Wolves at some point say, no, we need to um, keep improving the team and keep our best players rather than sell them when their value is high? When they first went up to the Premier League, they would, I'm told, have spent more money on transfers if it wasn't for uh, the Premier League financial fair play rules. So they were restricted in what they could do in the market because they had to, to keep themselves in bounds uh, in terms of recruitment expenditure. And, you know, that, that is still a factor for them. But it's always been central to their plan is to recruit well. 
So the using Jesse Foot, using George Mendes, the idea is you get players like Neto, um, you get players like Ruben Neves, you get players like Giogo Jota at good prices with uh, a framework in place with a manager who is good at developing players and realizes the importance of bringing these players through the first team and increasing their value with the idea being that you will sell some of them on and reinvest in more young talents, uh, rapidly increase their value and get a better and better team year by year. The owners have talked about their aim being to reach the Champions League to do what Manchester City have done, but I think they will do that in a steady pattern. It's not we're going to jump in uh, and do it the way Manchester City didn't spend, go to the top of the transfer market immediately in terms of buys because they, they simply can't do that under current regulations. So, so it has to be intelligent and staged. And, you know, they've taken a hit, I think, over the last season because of the injury to Raul Jimenez and because of COVID, which prevented the, the kind of big deal that they were expecting to do last summer. And Adama Traore was the, the player that they were, they were marketing um, and they had a lot of interest in because of the season he had. And they were talking at one point of their asking price being 150 million euros or realistically it would probably have been 100 million euros. So that would have been the move for the summer. That didn't happen. They had the, the possibility to do Neto instead. And as I've explained, again, it wasn't structured in a way that uh, that worked for them. So they've, they've stepped aside from it and now they wait till this summer and hope that um, the impact of COVID has diminished and, and there will be enough money from one of those big clubs to take a player on uh, the pricing that, that, that they expect for their better players. And of course, the wonderful thing about this player is that in the words of the great Rude Hullet, uh, 40 million? Is that netto? <laughs> Sorry for the pun. Speaking of uh, the former Chelsea legend, uh, we move on to the Stamford Bridge Club with regards to their uh, summer transfer window plans. Uh, is there information, Duncan, that Chelsea intend to sell this summer, having invested heavily to the extent of £213 million pounds, uh, last summer in rebuilding and, of course, recruiting to the squad? Uh, is there information that uh, a very well-known agent has been asked to market certain players uh, the most prominent being Hakim Ziyech, who of course has not been at the club very long from his move to Ajax, but who Thomas Tuchel believes uh, that the squad is top heavy in attacking midfielders and that Ziyech is probably the most expendable should they be able to recoup some of the investment in him. Uh, and as well as uh, trying to uh, recognise and realise the value of Fiaco Tamori, who uh, is currently on loan at AC Milan and who have a option to buy for 26 million euros, but also uh, at least two or three fringe players are certainly available for transfer. And Tuchel has indicated that he would like to bring in at least two players with regards to balancing out his squad, um, mainly in defence 
rather than up top. Whereas I said, uh, he believes that they are very well suited at the moment. It seems to me, Duncan, like uh, a sensible move with regards to um, how the squad is uh, right now. As I said, it doesn't seem to have a lot of balance uh, lots of attacking players, not so many defending players. Uh, would you see uh, being a bit of a surprise to sell Ziek, given his very short time at the club, and also the fact that uh, he's considered to be one of uh, a very talented set of attacking midfielders in Europe? Look, I think it's interesting that uh, your friend Tam Tuchel has come into the Chelsea squad and come to the conclusion about it that his predecessor Frank Lampard had when that um, recruitment process was was in place and that um, Marina Granovskaya was focusing on attacking players, particularly attacking midfielders and spending too much of the budget on those players where they were, they already had um, a lot of strength last season. Um, so rationally, yes, you would, uh, if you want to raise money to invest elsewhere, and we know that there's a, a strong interest in signing Erling Haaland, um, we know that there's a need for a, a, a centre back to improve the defence, then you would let one of the attacking midfielders go. Um, it would be strange to sell Kai Havertz because there's so much invested in, in him in terms of finances and, uh, and I guess Granovskaya's pride. So Ziyech is, is older, um, from that group. I, again, you'd have the option of Christian Pulisic, but Pulisic, you, you're younger, a lot of potential and, uh, try and retain him in the squad if possible. So th- there is a logic if you have to sell one to try and sell Ziyech. Um, but uh, perhaps not the easiest deal to do. Um, he's played 15 Premier League matches for Chelsea so far. One goal, three assists, done a bit better in the Champions League where he has two goals. Obviously had injury issues this season. Um, but yeah, the, look, we, we, we said throughout this entire process of, of Chelsea's recruitment, that they were, they weren't balancing the squad well and they were spending money in one area of the field and neglecting other areas of the field. Um, Tuchel is certainly going to have a lot of influence over this market because of what's happened since he's come in. Um, appointed January 26th. He still hasn't lost a game. They're in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. They are getting themselves in position to qualify for the Champions League through their league position. Um, they aren't playing the most exciting of football. Um, they're not ticking that box that's always been important for Roman Abramovich at key times for managers of, of playing attractive football. Um, but they are getting results. And uh, as long as he does that, he will have that period which most Chelsea managers get where they do get to influence transfers uh, and they do get to shape the squad. And um, if I was advising Tuchel, I would say take advantage of it because it probably won't last for very long. That's the history of the club. You're absolutely right about that. That's for sure, Duncan. Um, and I think uh, Big Tam is certainly uh, trying to do that right now. Um, it is my information that there was a recruitment meeting which included the manager and uh, recruitment team as well as Marina Granovskaya. Uh, 
last week in which this was discussed specifically with regards to disposal of players and recruitment of players in certain positions. And, uh, well, Frank Lampard, ironically, had continually uh, lobbied to have a centre-half and a right-back or left-back. Of course, he got Ben Chilwell. He was denied what he really wanted in the market, uh, despite getting Thiago Silva as well, who, of course, has spent quite a lot of time out injured um, up until this point in the season. So uh, Tuchel has decided that, well, I'm not going to be caught out in the same way. Uh, I will... Uh, ask and demand that my um, needs are met with regards to um, balancing up the squad and improving the first 11 as well. Uh, I think it's interesting that Tomori is on that list of players to be disposed of because obviously he is on loan at um, AC Milan, so he's not considered to be first choice. But he was a player who was highly regarded by Lampard and generally as well. And uh, so to get rid of him would bring in substantial funds. Um, but as I said, balancing the books with regards to um, what happened in last summer's window when the spend was huge uh, by Chelsea standards, although Chelsea are probably the only team in the Premier League who have returned a net profit on transfers in the last decade, uh, which people might think is unusual because Chelsea always seem to be big spenders. Um, that is the case, that they are in profit over 10 years. Uh, not hugely, but I think to the tune of about £13 million. Um, but that's certainly much better than their rivals in the so-called Big Six in terms of return. And so uh, interesting as well, Duncan, this week that Roman Abramovich gave a very, very rare interview um, to Forbes uh, regarding his time at the club and uh, his continuing interest uh, at a time when he has not attended a game at Stamford Bridge in three years. Uh, it's Again, my information that he still does attend board meetings via video link and uh, has approved Tuchel's plans for this summer. Um, and Marina Granskaya uh, has as well said that, yes, they will market the players that we've mentioned, along with two or three other fringe players, in order to offset any further investment. So looks like Chelsea are going to continue in their gearing up to challenge for Premier League title, Champions League, obviously, should they get there uh, next season. Liverpool haven't had their problems to seek with regards to central defence, of course. Um, they have tried to blood young players as well as uh, looking at bringing in uh, players to recruit. Uh, they have had a long-standing interest in the Napoli centre-back Kaladu Koulibaly, which we have reported on a podcast in detail over the last year, uh, 
it is our understanding that an informal offer to begin with of 40 million euros plus add-ons has been made for the player uh, who's certainly available and that they look uh, certainly Jurgen Klopp looks at him as being a very, very suitable partner for Virgil van Dijk, who is expected to return before the start of next season and do pre-season with Liverpool as well. Uh, Koulibaly was once the talk of the town, Duncan, with regards to um, the Premier League and uh, had interest from Manchester City and Manchester United. Uh, but Liverpool look to be leading the race now in a reduced price market for a player. Okay, he's 29, but that does also uh, give him the advantage of the experience and uh, he will be able to hit the ground running with regards to coming in to a new club and obviously, as I said, uh, partnering Van Dijk in what could be quite a significant um, in terms of strength and depth of partnership at the heart of the Liverpool defence. Certainly a, a different grade of signing to Ozan Kabak, who they took on loan from bottom of the Bundesliga Schalke in January, um, or Ben Davis, who they took for £2 million from from Preston. Um Kabak doesn't look like the long-term solution for Liverpool um, because his strength is more um, holding on on the ball and passing rather than uh, the aggressive kind of defending and the and the ability to play a very high line that's been central to Jurgen Klopp's tactics with with Van Dijk in the the team. Um, he is available. He's as you say. Um, very close to moving last summer, in fact, was actually announced on the Manchester City um, webpage <laughs> on the same day they bought Ruben Gia. So um, the, a quick uh, change of content from the Manchester City media staff on that one, which doesn't come as a surprise because Koulibaly thought he was going to be going to Manchester City in the summer. Um then Benfica reduced their asking price on Ruben Gias, who'd been a long-standing target of City. Um, story we broke on the on the, the podcast well before that transfer happened. Um, and Gias was available uh, at a cheaper transfer fee, cheaper salary, and was a younger player. So I think it became an easy decision for City to make in the end. Koulibaly, as you say, is for sale. Um, Napoli made him their highest earner in September 2018 in order to reta retain him for a period while they targeted the Serie A title um, and also to uh, increase his value in the market. Um, they were at one point asking for over 100 million euros for the player. He's on a salary of 6 million euros net. Um, and that's become a bit of a millstone for the club. Uh, therefore, they're ready to sell him this summer. And, and the asking price has come down. Um, and yes, there, there will be interest from top clubs in signing a ready-made centre-back who has that experience at the very highest level, um, can fit into the team and, and does look like a player who would work in the Premier League with his, with his physicality um, combined with that experience. Do you think Manchester United might 
um, retain their interest in the player, Duncan, because clearly they still have issues at the centre back position. Um, even if Oligan or Solskjaer's love child, uh, uh, Lindelof is the preferred choice to partner Harry Maguire. Uh, we've reported on the podcast that Maguire would prefer to have a more commanding partner in the middle uh, necessarily and preferably someone who understands English. I know that Lindelof certainly does and I'm not sure about Koulibaly, but uh, to that end, um, I think that Koulibaly would be a very good signing for Manchester United in terms of his ability to defend aggressively, uh, especially in the air, but also in the tackle as well. He's very good at closing down space and also good at timing tackles. He's got more speed and agility than Maguire has. Um, someone said to me this week that uh, when they saw the uh, crisis in the Suez Canal, they thought it was Harry Maguire who had run aground. <laughs> Um, I think that boat in the in the Suez Canal is more effective at blocking the channels than Harry Maguire. But no! uh, <laughs> that's a known goal. I just set you up for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, as you reported a couple of weeks ago, Maguire proposing that he gets a, a partner who knows the Premier League and is a native English speaker because he feels that there are some communication issues with his his current partners. Um, Look, if you're going for finished product and you're going top of the market in terms of salary, um, then Koulibaly would make sense for Manchester United. But um, it's been a while since they've gone for a player who will be, I mean, Koulibaly will be 30 in June. So that has not been their transfer policy in recent windows. Certainly their, the PR around... Well, they signed Cavani, who's 34. Yeah, on a, on a one-year deal um, where they can cut it at the end of this season, um, free transfer uh, option to retain for a second season. Um, the, the long-term transfers have been on younger players and you have the cultural reboot PR story that they're favouring English or um, UK players and they're favouring younger players and it's a, a steady process of development. Certainly the individuals they're, they're looking at um, guys like Pau Torres, um, Jules Kunde are younger defenders, the ones that are based overseas, um, and, and fit more with that, uh, strategy and would be cheaper from a, from a wage per perspective. So, um, I don't see them moving for Kulabai. That's not the sense I'm getting that they, that they would, uh, enter the market for, for the finished product. I mean, it might, make more sense um, to sell Maguire if they could find a, a buyer in the Premier League. I think that would be very difficult in the present market conditions and bring Koulibaly in as a replacement as the leader of the defence. Um, but there is so much invested in Maguire um, working for them because Solskjaer and Woodward made him the most expensive defender in the history of the game that I do not see them going down that line. And also the club captain, Duncan. So that is a difficult yeah. sale. Given the captaincy uh, as well. So yeah, it's the, the team is being organized around him. Um, 
Solskjaer plays Fred and McTominay as his, as his first two choices in what he describes as a back six um, to protect that defence. Um, and he has to protect the defence because we all know from watching Maguire doing his Suez Canal act um, through these two seasons at Manchester United that once the ball goes in behind him, um, he, he can't catch up. The striker's away and it's a, it's a chance on goal. Very true. Um, so Liverpool are, as I said, in pole position uh, to sign Kulbay, uh given that Manchester City, as Duncan has said, um, opts for Ruben Dias and that Manchester United uh, don't appear to be in the market for the player. One of the mysteries of the season so far, Duncan, has been at Manchester United uh, in terms of their recruitment and Donny van der Beek. There's been lots of speculation about, uh, first of all, why they signed him uh, at all. And secondly, why his game time has been so short since his move from Ajax. Uh, I've been told and it has been speculated as well by some ex-Manchester United players that the reason that Van der Beek was signed was that they expected Paul Pogba to leave Old Trafford. And so Van der Beek, as a creative midfielder who could play flexibly at 6, 8 or 10, uh, would be a good uh, replacement for Pogba, who of course didn't leave, and now uh, Van der Beek has uh, been left effectively on the bench uh, because the way that Solskjaer is playing uh, in terms of setting up his team and also um, the fact that Pogba remains at the club uh, has been the case that he's not had uh, the same starting influence that he was basically first on the team sheet at Ajax. Um, you've got some information, Duncan, on how Van der Beek feels about that and what he feels his place, stroke position for the future might be. Yeah, look, it's quite remarkable because this is a, a very expensive transfer, particularly in a COVID environment. Um, as we reported, as was generally known for a while, that Real Madrid would have taken him. Uh, last summer, they had a deal in place with the player. They weren't able to pay the money Ajax wanted because of um, financial restrictions in Spain. So Manchester United moved in and, and took advantage in what looked like a very astute move by United to get a player that I don't think they would have got in normal circumstances and someone who had been an excellent performer for Ajax, as you say, can play as a holding midfielder, as a box-to-box number eight and as a number 10 um, best position, according to uh, people at Ajax, is a number 10. And they actually, when I was talking to them about the deal, they said, look, he's a better player in that position than Bruno Fernandes or uh, Paul Pogba. And if he gets his chance, um, he will take advantage and demonstrate that. However, you look at what's happened. He is amongst that Manchester United squad. He is number 20 in Premier League minutes. He's made just two Premier League starts in the season. Um, he's had 317 minutes in total. Nemanja Matic, who's you know second 
um, bottom of the list of you know six international class central midfielders that, that Solskjaer has to choose from has 913 minutes so he's been used almost three times as much as Van de Beek even Juan Mata has more Premier League minutes than Van de Beek this season quite remarkable given that Mata's status within the, the club now and and the investment that was made in, in Van de Beek I've been asking how he has been dealing with it um, uh, from other Manchester United players. And they say, look, he's extremely professional. He's been training very well. He doesn't come across as angry. Um, but the sense they get is that he talking to him is that he's confused as to why Manchester United would make the investment they did in signing him and then use him as I think is demonstrated by the selections essentially as a backup for Bruno Fernandes. So the only time he gets um, a start at number 10 is when Bruno Fernandes is rested, which as we know is not often because Bruno Fernandes is the most important player to the team and certainly the most important player to the attack provides the creativity. So he's effectively the backup number 10 to the player who's first on the team sheet, therefore gets hardly any minutes. we just talked about Fred and Scott McTominay being used to protect Maguire. I think that's damaged him because Solskjaer obviously doesn't feel he can use Van de Beek as one of those two holding midfielders in front of the defence. So in a sense, he's become another victim of Solskjaer being wedded to to Maguire. Um, what's he going to do? That's harder to judge. What I'm told is that he's thinking about whether the right thing to do would be to uh, ask for a move um, and leave Manchester United, go to somewhere where he gets to play properly. Um, But only thinking about it, it's not the case, I'm told, that he's actually gone and requested uh, to leave the club. Um, A decision still to be made in his part over what the right thing to do is this summer. Culturally, the Dutch are quite pragmatic in the in the general sense, so it would make um, a sense that uh, Van der Beek would see it out for maybe another season with regards to um, trying to find a place in the first team at Manchester United, uh, and of course the summer window will bring changes as well. Um, with lots of different situations go- going on. Well, Paul Pogba wants to leave. Um, whether he can get that move is another matter, but he would like to go to Real Madrid. Um, ironically, the place that Van de Beek almost went to. However, Manchester United are looking for a new midfielder and they're looking for a player who can play as a number six and also play as a box-to-box number eight. So if Pogba goes... Um, there will be more competition for a place. Seems odd that um, they would look for someone else when Van der Beek's already there. Clearly has talent, clearly has experience. And yet, I mean, does Solskjaer just not trust him? The evidence from the selections are exactly that. You, you can't You can't go any further than him being 20th on the Manchester United squad list for Premier League minutes. It's not the case that he's been injured for large periods of the season. He's just not been chosen. And and as 
we just reported there, his feeling is that Solskjaer's perception of him is as a backup, a reserve to Bruno Fernandes. Um, so his perception is that Solskjaer only trusts him to play as a number 10 and only sees him as a number 10, which is really strange given his career track record and the flexibility and his ability to play those positions at Ajax and demonstrate at the very highest level how good he is at playing those positions, you know, at a, at a level higher than Manchester United have achieved in the Champions League for many years now. Um, Van de Beek's proven, but the current manager using him doesn't see him as uh, as appropriate to play at number eight or number six. Well, it says something also, Duncan, about Manchester United's recruitment process that a player they paid around 40 million euros for is not trusted and is not first choice and is not even considered as first choice. Uh, it says to me that Solskjaer um, did not have much of an input on his um, recruitment in the first place. Poss- possibly, or he he was happy with the idea of bringing a, a quality player in and then got to work with him and decided he didn't fit his plan. Um you have Paul Pogba there and there was a possibility that Paul Pogba wouldn't stay last summer. Um, and Solskjaer, I have to say, has done a good job in taking advantage of, of Pogba's willingness to demonstrate his quality and desire to earn that move elsewhere and, uh, and got some very good performances out of, of Pogba this season. Now, um, if you have Pogba there, playing in the way he is playing, then I guess you use Paul Pogba. I think that the, the more telling one is, is his faith in Fred and Scott McTominay. And, you know, if you look at the big games Manchester United play, and sometimes if you look at the, the less important games Manchester United play, it's very clear that Solskjaer's preference is to have those two um, sweeping and, and playing with, you know, they have a lot of mobility, a lot of energy. Um, and do a lot of work for him, but he likes having those two in front of his defence, and and that closes down the the other option for a place for Van de Beek. Faith and thread sounds like a nineties pop duo to me, Duncan. Um, <laughs> this is indeed uh, <laughs> too sexy for my shirt or whatever uh the second podcast from the transfer window this week which of course gives us the donkey award and with the baftas and oscars imminent uh we of course like to join in in the awards season and uh this week we are dedicating the donkey to the great zlatan inverted commas eight million you say Ibrahimovic uh, for comebacks in football after he appeared for the first time in five years for the Sweden national team this week. And of course, it wouldn't have been Zlatan if he hadn't been involved in the goal that won them their World Cup qualifier. So the Zlatan Ibrahimovic award for uh, successful comebacks or not successful comebacks, uh, is here. I'm just going to open the golden envelope. Ooh. 
There we go. Okay, Duncan, you have three to choose from. Leo Messi, who was retired from international football, I think, on at least two occasions uh, from uh, the Argentinian national team and then came back, uh, but still hasn't won a trophy with them. Uh, Diego Maradona, probably my favourite, actually, who, having not played for three years for Argentina, appeared in the 1994 World Cup. And, of course, that infamous game against Nigeria where he produced two assists and, in doing so, uh, made the mad eyes at the camera, effectively inviting FIFA's drug testers to take him into the room and say, Diego, do you mind if you give ourselves a sample, please, because you look a bit off your face. And the third one, which, oh, is kind of, is, as good as Maradona, is Andy Carroll when he went back to Newcastle United, having left firstly for Liverpool and then for West Ham United. Duncan, it's up to you who you want to choose for this particular donkey. Um, give us your thoughts. Well, let's hope um, the great Zlatan's comeback is more successful than the, the three you've presented to us. Um, as you say, Messi has taken a couple of absences from the Argentina international team and then returned to uh, pursue that dream of winning a major trophy with uh, the Argentina national team and uh, is running out of chances to to actually do it and, and demonstrate that he can perform at the levels of, you know, the amazing levels he has delivered at Barcelona amidst a different group of players. Um, Maradona, a good uh, candidate with that uh, return, I think after three years absence from the Argentina national team, um, and a bit of glory at the World Cup until the, until the drug testers took him away and, uh, and removed him from the tournament. But against those two Argentine legends, I think I'm going to go for the Geordie legend. That's Andy Carroll. Um, in the second year of his comeback at Newcastle United, uh, now played 40 games across those two seasons and scored one goal, which is actually worse numbers than he, he produced at Liverpool um, after that uh, close to record transfer coming in um, in place of Fernando Torres, which is quite an achievement to get worse numbers than he, than he demonstrated when he was with Liverpool. I've scored more goals in the last year than Andy Carroll, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Albeit against less, lesser opposition. <laughs> Your son. <laughs> <laughs> Your ten, so Andy ten, Carroll is ten-year-old ten son. Ten-year-old son? No, he's no, no, no. He's he's well. One's thirteen, the other one's eighteen. So let's not let's not okay. exaggerate. Okay. <laughs> so Andy Carroll wins this week's Donkey Award, uh, which of course is the Zlatan Ibrahimovic, eight million. You say, and if you wonder what that reference is, please Google it. Uh, or sorry, not Google it. Go to YouTube. And type in I am Zlatan uh, and watch the cartoon of Zlatan telling Pep it was time for him to leave Barcelona. And you will both be very, very grateful that we gave you the reference as well as a lot of fun um, in doing so. Uh, this has been uh, the news before it becomes news. 
on the Transfer Window podcast. Please, if you've liked what you've heard, review us and rate us on iTunes or subscribe for free on all of your normal platforms in social media, including YouTube as well. We will be back with you next week. Until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. 